Uh, every, every Sunday before I get up here, I try to remind myself of how utterly dependent I am on God. Because um, I, I know who I am without Him, or who I was with. Uh, I know what that Aaron looks like, how that Aaron acts. I know how afraid that Aaron is. I would not be up here. That Aaron would not be up here. Pardon. Uh, God is the only reason I am standing here right now. If you saw me growing up, if you knew me as a child, you would not think to yourself, that kid is going to be a preacher. All right? There's nothing about my personality really. Like, you know, in church and on Sundays, I, I might come off as extroverted. I'm not, all right? I'm not really an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. I have to be charged alone. Uh, but that being said, I know how utterly dependent I am on God. This is, this is not by my own power. Uh, yeah, I went to heart. I, I got a degree in Bible and all of that. I, I, I tried to put forth effort. And I'm not saying I'm just some passive person. But, man, without God's active work in my life, uh, I'm not standing here. I'm not preaching. I am not the person I am today. I am not sanctified. I'm not like Christ. So, uh, that being said, I do want to pray before we get into our sermon. God, I know how dependent I am on you. Life itself, the life I have, is dependent on your will. It's dependent on you giving me each breath. Preaching is completely dependent on you. It doesn't happen without you. You are so good. You are more than fair. You are more than loving. You are more than just. Uh, sometimes it's hard to see, but you love us so much. You allow us to be sanctified. You allow us to be justified. You allow us to be. Uh, you've given us opportunity to be cleansed by. Your son's blood, we are so dependent on your work. And I pray that every single person would see that, would see how much they depend on you. It's a new standard prayer. Amen. You know, most people on earth value the physical over the spiritual. They think the physical is greater than the spiritual. Now, that shows up in a lot of ways, but one way I've noticed recently is how. Uh, there are some non-believers who will harshly criticize believers for offering thoughts and prayers. Uh, because they think prayers mean nothing, they think prayers do nothing, they think prayers offer nothing. Now to be fair, I will say they have a point when it comes to Christians who just offer their prayers when there's something obvious they can do. Right? This is true, there are times where we shouldn't just pray, yes pray, but there might be something obvious in how we can help somebody. So I understand that criticism, but uh, people understanding, people thinking that prayers don't do a single thing, that everything's just physical, every problem, every issue we have can be solved by something physical, I think that's misguided. Because not in every situation can we just slap some money around. Uh, not in every situation can somebody go to a doctor to be fixed. Not in every situation can somebody just go to a psychiatrist and, and be fixed, quote-unquote. No, Eddie knows this, sir. 
get my point. And so in that way, people value the physical over the spiritual as if the spiritual has no effect on our life, as if everything is physical. We've actually seen this in the text that we have been dealing with so far in John, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, people focusing, thinking the physical is greater than the spiritual. They're just so focused on the physical. So John chapter 2, real quick. John chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? That's right after Jesus just flipped over their tables and the money changers' tables. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Right, they're referring to their temple to God. It took us 46 years. Do you see how majestic, do you see how great this temple is? you see that it's got gold? you see that it's, it's glorious, right? It's amazing. So you're, you're saying you're going to raise this temple in three days, but of course he's not referring to that temple. He's referring to his own body. The Jews, they were so focused on a building. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Jesus talking to Nicodemus he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How does that happen, Jesus? Right? That's, I can't enter my mother's womb, not a, let alone that would be kind of gross, right? Uh, that would probably make me unclean, after all, he's a Jew. Probably would make him unclean. How could you say I could be born again? He's so focused on the physical. John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, when Jesus is talking about the Samaritan woman, verses 10 and 11, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and knew it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? He offers her living water, and she says, you don't have a bucket. What are you going to draw water with? How are you going to get living water? You don't have anything with you. She's so focused on the physical, he's not talking about literal water. The Jews stuck on the physical. Uh, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the top dogs of the Jews, the person who should know everything there is to know about their religion, he's stuck on the physical. And the Samaritan, for the Samaritan woman, for a brief time, she's stuck on the physical. And as we've been covering it, Jesus has been having this conversation with this Samaritan woman, and he asks for a drink, uh, and she doesn't give him a drink immediately, and then he tells her, you know what, I have something to offer you, which is living water. She, she doesn't quite get it. She, she doesn't understand. And then Jesus miraculously tells her, okay, you know what? I know your past. I know who you've been with. I know that you've been divorced five times. And then she at least perceives, okay, you're a prophet. You're a prophet. So what about worship? Are we, should we worship on this mountain? Should we worship in Jerusalem? You know, where is the proper place to worship? And Jesus tells her. There's going to come a time where the Father in heaven is going to see true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But she's still not quite there. She still doesn't quite get it. She says, we know that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to reveal all things. And then Jesus, 
tells her pretty plainly in verse 26 of chapter 4, I who speak to you and he. So now the question is, how will she respond? Chapter 4, verse 27. We don't immediately see her response, but verse 27 says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So we don't, it doesn't pan immediately to her response, how she responds to Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. Instead, it pans, imagine a camera panning away from them, and it sees the disciples coming back. Remember, they went to get food. That's verse 8. Disciples come back. And they don't say it, as the text says here, but uh, they're thinking this. They're astonished that he's talking with the woman. And they're thinking to themselves, what do you seek? Why are you talking to her? Now for context, for a man to talk with a woman alone that was not their spouse, that was just scandalous. Let alone a rabbi. Alright? For them, in their culture, in their time, it was not appropriate for a man, let alone a rabbi, to talk with a woman alone. And more than that, in their culture, women were not taught the Torah. They were not allowed to go follow some rabbi to be taught the Torah. What is Jesus doing here? He's teaching. He's doing something so countercultural for the time that the, the disciples are astonished. They, they think to themselves, Jesus, you're probably not supposed to be doing that. Jesus, I don't know what you're doing. I don't think you know what you're doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. He does something so countercultural. Continue on, verses 28 through 29. You see the woman's response. It says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me that all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? When you encounter Jesus, the physical is going to pale in comparison to the spiritual. Right? As in the text, she just leaves her water drop. She, she leaves the most, forgets why she even came there in the first place, because she's found something greater. And she responds by telling others. Now keep in mind who this woman is. Uh, we just heard about her past, uh, that she's been married five times, divorced five times, she's currently with somebody she's not married with. Right? And so in that context, in their time, she would have been a societal outcast. There's a reason she's going to get water at noon, okay, in the middle of day, alone, because she would have been an outcast. But when Jesus offers her something, when Jesus looks at her and understands that she deserves to be offered this life, she hears about it, she hears about the spiritual life, and she can't help but tell others. And maybe the people she goes to, maybe those people are people who viewed her as an outcast, but she doesn't care. Now notice that while she does immediately leave, she leaves her water jar. There's still some uncertainty. Right? The text is not trying to communicate that after Jesus tells her this, she completely gets it. She fully understands. No, that's not what the text says. After all, she says, can this be the Christ? 
Right, so she's heard enough, she's seen enough to, to go and tell people of him, but there's still some uncertainty. She doesn't fully get it. But here's the thing. When you come to Jesus, when you hear him, it's not a requirement to know everything. Jesus doesn't expect you to get it immediately when he tells you, when you hear his word. He doesn't expect you to fully understand but because of that, just because we might not fully understand, don't let that get in the way of your response to it. Because when you get a taste of what Jesus offers, when you see that spiritual life he offers, don't let it go. Look at the response, verse 30, from the people she told. They went out of town. So she went, she told the, the people of her town, they went out of town and they were coming to him. There's a response. Now, this is not the case for everybody, right? Not everybody we tell of Jesus and the spiritual life he offers. Not everybody's going to come, right? There are going to be people who ridicule you. There are going to be people who look at you as like some religious clown, right? Some religious freak that doesn't know what they're talking about. But there will be some who come. Some who respond. Verses 31 through 33. Meanwhile, the disciples, they were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one, one, one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Again, remember, they went out of town to go get food because they're hungry. Right? The text says that Jesus was fit, he wearied. So yeah, he's probably thirsty, he's probably hungry. So the disciples, you know, they thought it was a good idea to go get Jesus something to eat. But Jesus turns to them and says, I have food you don't know about. And the disciples say, man, who gave you something? Did somebody give you a taco? They're so focused on the spirit. Uh, the physical. They're so focused on the physical. But Jesus, on the other hand, is focused on the spiritual. He's not talking about literal food. Now let me tell you, Jesus, he's a much better man than me, all right? He's by far better than me, because you're not going to hear those words out of my mouth when you go eat potluck, okay? I'm not going to tell you, you know what? I'm good, I have food you don't know about. No, I'm not going to do that, okay? He's a much better man than me, but in all seriousness, though, Jesus, he's trying to show them something much more important. He's trying to show them his food, his sustenance. Verses 34 through 36 say this, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His food, his sustenance, is doing the will of God. His food, his sustenance, is doing the will of God. God's will sustains him. Verse 35. Do you not say there are four months, then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. I'm surprised the disciples didn't say, okay, so you want us to go grab a sickle or something? Do we need to go out in the fields and start harvesting things? Or no, Jesus, he's not talking about a literal, literal harvest for food. As the text says, uh, fruit being gathered for eternal life. He's talking about souls. Right, so his food is to do the will of the Father, to do the will of God, and that will is to gather souls, gather fruit 
for eternal life. That's what matters. Not people living life to the fullest, not people having everything in the world, not people acquiring wealth, but people being obtained for eternal life, people being born again, people receiving the Spirit, people drinking that living water. Jesus understands that the spiritual is greater than the physical. Verses 37 and 38, he says this, For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I say you reap for that which did not labor, others have labored, and you've entered into the labor. Now, the immediate context, he's saying that people came before them, uh, they sowed, and now you're reaping. Right, so who are those people that sow? Well, probably, maybe he's referring to the prophets before them. The prophets who foretold of Jesus' coming as the Messiah, as a Messiah who would suffer. And he probably refers to John the Baptist, right? Immediately, John the Baptist prepares the way. He has the disciples, and then he points his disciples to Jesus. Right, so others have sowed, and now they're reaping. But notice in this text, he doesn't say there are sowers, growers, and reapers. There are sowers and reapers. Because the growth is not about us. 1 Corinthians 3, I don't have this on the slides, but 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. God gives the there are sowers, there are reapers, but God gives the growth. The growth, the spiritual growth that happens in people's lives does not happen because of us. All we do is sow and all we do is reap, but we do not grow people. God grows people. God works in other people's lives to grow them, to lead them up to the spiritual life that leads to eternal life. And this is what matters, sowing, growing, and reaping, God giving that growth. Yes, we have physical needs. And yes, there are people in our community that have physical needs, and we're going to continue to meet those needs. Let's make one thing clear. We're going to continue to serve others. But we have to ask ourselves, what has been sown and what has been reaped? I ask myself that all the time. What has been sown? What has been reaped? Yes, I can work to help people meet their physical needs, but do they have life? Yeah, I can help sustain their physical life, but do they have life? Notice the Samaritan woman in this passage. She doesn't snub Jesus and say, thanks, but no thanks. She thinks of who else needs to hear about this. Because she realizes what he has to offer is greater than anything physical in the world. Look at verses 39 through 42. Look at the response from the people she told. Verses 39 through 42 say this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Right, so it begins with the Samaritan woman. She tells others what he did, the miracle he performed, right? Just knowing her miraculously. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they come to Jesus after hearing about him. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Uh, and they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It begins with her testimony. 
Right? She knows that other people need to hear about this. And she gets a glimpse of that spiritual life he offers, and she wants nothing else but to tell other people, even though she doesn't quite get it. Right? She, she doesn't have full understanding, but she knows that this is greater, greater than the water she was about to go get, greater than anything on earth. And because of her testimony, they have him stay two days with him. I imagine probably teaching uh, them all he's already taught. I imagine having him teach them about the spiritual life that can be found in him. But regardless of what was said or taught, their response, they, they believed his word, they heard for themselves, and they concluded that he was the savior of the world. That's what we should want for others. You see, I get up every Sunday and I'll preach, but I don't want you to just believe just because I said something. Right? You're going to have to hear Jesus for yourself. You're going to have to experience his work, his personal work in your life. I want you to get to that point. Because I can, I can tell you all you want to hear, but don't believe just because I said something. Believe because he can actually do something in your life and he can actually change you. When we come to Jesus for that living water, when we come for his spirit that uh, leads up to eternal life, when we see that spiritual life, we should want others to know him. To hear Jesus for themselves, to see that he is indeed the savior of the world, to see how much they need spiritually. I, uh, the other day, I guess it was yesterday, Yesterday, I, I saw a video about a man named John Harker. You ever heard of John Harker? I'm surprised I haven't heard about him until now. He was one of the people on the Titanic. Um, he was a preacher. And as the Titanic was going down, he, he got his sister and he got his six-year-old daughter. He was a widower and he put them on a lifeboat. But then he went back into the waters to try and go save other people. But not only was he trying to save their physical life, not only was he trying to give them life this, not only was he trying to get them into a, a lifeboat, he was telling the people, and he went to this one man and he said, Do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith? He jumped into the waters to go physically save but he also jumped into the waters so that people could be, or really, have salvation that really matters. Uh, the one, one of the men that he jumped into the water and asked if he believed in Jesus, that man ended up getting on a lifeboat and was saved. John Harker, uh, he drowned. He could have just stayed in that lifeboat with his six-year-old daughter and his sister, but he knew that salvation, that spiritual life for others was by far more important than his physical life. So man, I, sometimes I wonder about myself, and this is a good thing to ask ourselves, are, are we willing to lose our lives for the sake of other people's spiritual life? Jump in freezing waters to die while others go live life, but obtain a life of much more value, which is life in Christ. Be spiritual is greater than 
be physical. Jesus, he offers you life that is of much more value than what your eyes can see. And if you want that life, you can come as we stand and see.